Thank you very much <coughs> to all the honorable members of parliament and distinguished guests. This is a great honor for me to be here to thank you for the greatest gift that Britain ever gave to India, which is the Bible. Uh, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth, when she was coronated, the first televised coronation, uh, 1953, she acknowledged the centrality of the Bible in Britain's life. When she knelt down, kissed the Bible, and placed her hand on the Bible to take her oath of office, the <coughs> moderator of <coughs> the Church of Scotland then presented that particular Bible to her with these words, Our gracious Queen, to keep your majesty ever mindful of the law and the gospel of God as the rule for the whole life and government of Christian princes, we present you with this book, the most valuable thing that this world affords. Here is wisdom, this is the royal law, these are the very the lively oracles of God. In 2011, uh, the government of Britain uh, recognized the role the Bible had played by sending the Bible to every primary and secondary school in England, in Great Britain, and uh, the decision was contested by the atheists, uh, but the education secretary, uh, Mr. Michael Gove, he uh, defended his decision with the statement that this book has played crucial role in the history and development of Britain. Now, the East India Company, formed in 1600, uh, did not go out to the East, to India, to bless the world. Its mission was to make money. But it was the Bible that planted in the heart and mind of an individual, Charles Grant, a servant of the company at that time, to bless India. So as he studied the Bible individually and with a group, uh, that vision to bless the nations became a passion in his heart. So he came back to Britain in uh, 1790, uh, became a director of East India Company, then a member of parliament in 1802, and then the vice president of British and Foreign uh, Bible Society in um, 1808 or so. And uh, his vision was to use his position in the company and in the parliament to change what the East India Company was doing. So as a director with a vision, he became the direction of the British East India Company. One of the most significant things he began to do was to smuggle into India chaplains because the Parliament House of Commons had banned uh, sent, uh, of missionaries from going into India. So he smuggled chaplains, uh, most talented young people like Claudius Buchanan and Henry Martin, to go as chaplains to the East India Company. How do you transform the British Raj in India? And how do you transform India? In 1792, 
Uh, he wrote a book, Charles Grant wrote a book, his observation on the state of society in Asiatic subjects of Great Britain, uh, with chiefly with reference to their morals. Uh, that paper uh, was a very powerful sociological diagnosis of India and prescription. Therefore, in 1812, the House of Commons uh, ordered that his paper, short, uh, in short called The Observations, should be published as a state paper. And that influenced the members of parliament in 1813 to allow missionaries to go to India. One of the important reasons, there were many reasons, but one very important reason was that to govern a subcontinent which was hopelessly divided, the young men who were going there, <coughs> they were going to make, to earn their living, to make money, to instill in them the uh, virtues of righteousness and justice, but also to transform both the British Raj and India, uh, they needed to learn the languages of the people they were going to govern, because you can't uh, govern without knowing the languages of the people. But the vernaculars that people spoke did not have uh, books, grammars, dictionaries, uh, textbooks, they had no literature. The uh, Persian was not an Indian language, it went with soldiers to, uh, from Persia to India, but that was the court language in India when the East India Company began to rule Bengal. Uh, Persian was the court language and it was deliberately used by the Mughal courts to, so that the fellow Muslim, rival Muslims um, who were more Arabic speaking may not understand the state decisions and discussions. So the state language was a language intended to be a language of discrimination. Uh, India had two highly developed religious languages, Sanskrit and Arabic, but no one was teaching those languages to the people. So people spoke dialects, uh, but did not read the dialects because there was no school system. So these people, particularly led by Claudius Buchanan, uh, who was the provost of the Fort William College in Calcutta, established in the year 1800 and 1806 the Hertford, uh, in Hertfordshire here, um, the Hellebrae College, which was established to train civil servants in India. Uh, these were the colleges that began to transform British rulers in India. Fort William College became the place uh, in Calcutta where vernaculars were turned into literary languages. And that uh, was not something that young people who have gone to India to make money could do. Uh, the, it takes patience, it takes skills. So it was a mission that someone with missionary spirit dedicated himself to serve the local people, to learn their language, to transform these dialects into literary languages. Uh, that began to happen with people like Buchanan and Henry Martin. And because of uh, members of parliament such as Charles Grant and William Wilberforce, the uh, Parliament's approval, uh, mission, and East India Company, they began to work together. 
to create all of the uh, modern Indian languages. Dr. Babu Verghese uh, did a PhD uh, thesis in linguistics to document that uh, 73 of the modern Indian languages were created by the Bible translators in India. Uh, as a result, mo most of them in these Fort William College in Calcutta. And because there were no textbooks to learn Indian languages, Bible was the textbook that the British civil servants were using to learn how to serve a nation, how to serve people. The understanding of governance, of justice, of righteousness. So it became the book that was teaching them not only languages but character. And this began to change the nature of British rule in India. So by the uh, 1947, when India became free, uh, one of the things that Britain left behind was Indian civil services, which began to be called Indian administrative services, uh, that were created by members of parliament here. Lord Macaulay was a key figure uh, uh, in, in fact, it was first in India uh, that the idea of civil servants being recruited on the basis of merit through free and fair election uh, competition, uh, it first began in India, then a year later in 1556 or so, it was adopted here in Britain uh, that until then the uh, British, uh, the civil servants governing in India, uh, they were hired on the basis of their connections, who they knew, nepotism and bribery, instead of uh, merit and their ability to govern the nation. So the Bible began to transform that India needs people like Daniel, characters such as Daniel and his friends in Babylon who would serve with absolute integrity. So India received a, what was called the steel frame of governance, a clean administrative services where uh, the character of the governance was transformed. But these men, uh, who were championing this linguistic revolution through the Bible translation, uh, members of parliament uh, who also happened to be serving the Bible Society here in Britain, they knew that the siblings of Bible translation are printing literature, grammar, journalism, school, because that is what had actually happened here in Europe. Uh, it began in Oxford with John Wycliffe, who died in 1384. Uh, but at that time, Britain banned, the Archbishop of Canterbury banned translation of the Bible into English. And Wycliffe had translated the Bible along with his friends in Oxford before printing press existed. Therefore, the Wycliffe Bible was never printed in England, uh, but it was printed uh, about seven, eight years before Lincoln's Gettysburg speech in 1863. Um, and they could print it in America uh, because America had ceased to be part of the uh, British Empire and therefore was not obliged to obey the British law. 
so they could print a Bible that was banned here in England. Uh, but of course, 130 years or so after Wycliffe, Martin Luther began to translate the Bible into Germany. There was no German literature at that time, uh, no prose in German. Uh, people spoke German dialects, but they didn't read Germany. Anybody who wanted to read anything had to read it in Latin. Uh, but that literary revolution began. Tyndale, William Tyndale, a couple of years after uh, Luther's Reformation in England, in Germany, which we are celebrating the 500th anniversary this year, and this is part of that celebration, uh, Tyndale realized that if England had to be reformed, the Bible had to be translated and made available uh, in English. So he spent a whole year trying to get permission from uh, three different bishops to translate the Bible. Nobody would give him uh, the permission because the Bible is a very disturbing book, subversive book. So nobody would give him the permission to translate. So he had to uh, become a fugitive because it was illegal at that time to leave the shores of England without permission. Uh, but nobody would give him the permission to go and translate the Bible. So he ran away, hidden with Martin Luther in Wittenberg, finally translated and began to smuggle the English New Testament uh, into England, which became the basis for different Bibles, Bishop's Bible, the Geneva Bible, and finally the King James Bible in 1611. Uh, and it began to transform the grassroots. But what that da did was the opening of the European mind. Uh, because um, as Martin Luther was studying the Bible, uh, he realized that God wants all people to be saved from their sin. That's 1 Timothy 2.4. God, God wants all people to be saved from their sin and come to the knowledge of God. Because Jesus saves us from our sin to make us God's priests and kings. The idea of priesthood of all believers. This was a revolutionary idea. If every believer is a priest, then every believer needs to worship God. At that time, only the professionals sang who were preparing themselves to become um, monks and priests. They sang. But if everyone is to worship God, then singing must be in German or English. But if everyone has to know God, then the Bible must be in German and English. So that everyone can know uh, God's self-revelation. And when people began to read the Bible, if the Bible is indeed God's word, then it gave them a basis on, on which they were able to judge the kings and the MPs and the judges and the universities. Uh, the parliament says this, but the Bible says this, parliament is wrong. Now, this is what was feared uh, with Bible translation, and therefore it was banned. But it, the translation and publication of the Bible opened uh, the European mind because people began to study Martin Luther, when he, after he translated the New Testament into German and then the Bible, uh, he wrote a letter in 1520 to all the princes in Germany, Christian nobility, 
that God wants everyone to know the truth, therefore you must support education for everyone. There was no universal education. There was no school system in Europe at that time. In 1524, he wrote a second letter uh, to the city councils that as elders, you're responsible for the education of the younger generation. Therefore, you must build schools and maintain them, and the church will use those buildings to teach the kids. In 1530, Luther preached a sermon when he realized that the real problems are parents. Uh, they're not sending the kids to school because uh, the winter is coming. The boys need to be out in the woods cutting wood to keep the village warm. The girls need to be out cutting grass uh, to feed the cows in winter when there is no grass. Well, now the winter has come. We still can't send our daughters to school. Who will make the cheese? Who will knit the sweaters of all the wool that we have collected? So uh, he preached a sermon that you're worried about what shall we eat? What shall we drink? How shall we stay warm? Pagans seek these. You see God's kingdom and his righteousness and all of these material things will be added unto you. At that time, Luther had no empirical data uh, to demonstrate that an educated nation is economically developed nation. People really had to believe on the basis of the Bible that this is God's promise that if you seek God's kingdom and his righteousness, then you will actually become richer than Spain or uh, France or Italy, those who are not allowing people to read the Bible. So uh, the Bible opened Europe's mind and it, this is what Wycliffe, 130 years before Luther had written in the preface to his Bible, which Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, quoted in his Gettysburg speech. Now, his contemporaries knew that he was quoting Wycliffe. Today's historians don't know that he was quoting Wycliffe, that you cannot have a government of the people, for the people, by the people, unless it functions in the language of the people. So, Translating the Bible into English, making English the language of education, uh, is not just an intellectual activity. It changes everything when the language of the people becomes the language of school, college, university, research, law, and governance. This is what Britain began to give to India, an intellectual awakening. Therefore, a whole social reform movement began in India in the 19th century uh, as a result of what these Bible translators were doing. And the Indian intelligentsia knew that the Bible is not being given uh, to proselytize us, but to open the Indian mind. It transformed our politics because it was not historical accidents that the kings of England began to lose their power and the servants began to increase their power to the point that the first servant became the most important office. Our current Prime Minister um, Narendra Modi ji, uh, he is a Hindu, but he called himself the first servant of India. Because that's what our first Prime Minister Pandit Nehru, who studied here in England, used to call himself. Uh, I heard him when I was a little boy. Uh, saying that, my countrymen, I've come to you to speak to you as your first servant, because that's what the prime minister means. So as these missionaries, led and supported by members of parliament, 
were teaching the Bible to India, they were transforming the character of British rulers in India, uh, that the rulers must follow the king who washed the feet of his subjects and taught that I have come as the servant to lay down my life for the salvation of others. So this political revolution, and of course the economic revolution of the idea of equality, uh, in a movie like Titanic you see the class divisions in England, uh, which continues. But the idea of priesthood of all believers was a revolutionary idea which was best expressed in American um, Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal. In India that idea was never self-evident to any sage in India because inequality is scientifically observable empirical fact. Equality is a theological idea. All people haven't evolved equal. Evolution is an explanation of inequality. Why species are unequal. The idea that all men are created equal spread in the United States of America before it became the USA. George Whitfield has been described by historians such as Jacques Barjun as the first American before America existed as a one man who was revered and respected and known in all the 13 colonies. He was preaching and therefore he was known everywhere. And he was the first white man who began to preach to the blacks and baptize them. The, many of the white Christians were upset. What do you mean? Do you want us to drink communion from the same cup as our slaves and sit with them? Whitfield could have backed down that I need the money to go to England and he came here 13 times crossing the Atlantic. I need a lot of money and the blacks don't have any money to give me. I can't afford to displease the whites. But in 1740 he began writing a series of articles that the blacks are also made in God's image. They also have immortal souls. Jesus died for them. Uh, when they repent of their sin and accept Jesus, they become children of God. They receive eternal life. They are going to live with us forever and ever, etc. So he just wrote a series of articles defending his practice of preaching to the black. Benjamin Franklin was a popularizer and close associate of George Whitfield. And that was the influence which resulted in the Declaration of Independence that we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Now this idea came with the Bible to India and began to transform India. Because India was a, like a farmer. He plants 100 mango trees, poor farmer. He thinks that 15 of those trees are special, so he invests all his ability and energy in looking after those 15s. That 85 are second class, third class, fourth class, lower caste mango trees not worth the care. Now he's guaranteed to be a poor farmer. To be a prosperous farmer, he has to give maximum attention to the weakest, the poorest. Like any parent, 
you take care of, give attention to the child that needs it the most. That is what the idea of human equality came to India to begin to transform India. The transformation is not complete yet, but India was a sleeping giant that was awakened by Britain because you sent us the book that is the only intellectual basis for affirming equality and dignity and value of every human being. That men and women are equal is not self-evident. It's a theological assumption. It's a truth that transforms. So India is still being awakened and being transformed. And therefore, I'm personally so grateful uh, that the uh, blessings that Britain gave to us were, were these ideas that came to Europe through the Bible, political ideas, social ideals, economic ideals, <clears throat> and began to transform us. Now, the idea of nation itself is something that came to India with the Bible. Uh, why are the Native Americans called Indians? Well, because Columbus was looking for India. But why are Native Australians called Indians? Well, because India is the farthest easternmost point mentioned in the Bible in the book of Esther. When you've gone to India, you've gone to the end of the world. So India as a geographic entity existed in European mind. No one in India at the time of Vasco da Gama, two years later, who actually come, found the sea route to India, when Vasco da Gama came to India, uh, Kerala, nobody in India called himself an Indian. India was not a concept. There was no concept of geography in India. So the first scientific establishment that Britain gave to India, East India Company gave to India, was in 1767, the Survey of India, that's the name of the organization, Survey of India. It's the first scientific establishment which continues till today. That created the sense of geography and India as a nation. But the idea of India as a political nation state came from Britain, came from the House of Commons. It was in 1833 that Lord Thomas Babington Macaulay argued here in England, uh, supporting his friend Charles Gant Jr.'s uh, bill, India bill. So after Charles Grant Sr. died, uh, the head of the uh, company and a member of parliament, his son Charles Grant Jr., who was a friend, grew up in Clapham along with Lord Macaulay. Uh, um, and Lord Macaulay's father was also a director in the Bible Society. Uh, he, pr he proposed this bill, and Thomas uh, Babington Macaulay argued for it, that the greatest glory that, India, uh, that Britain will have would be to transform India into a free nation state. Um, I have the full quotations, which is from a speech here in Parliament on 10th of July, 1833, but I won't read it. Um, uh, hopefully the paper will be available to you. Uh, thank you. So I'll try and wind up with this last point. Uh, that India, the British mission to India, British role in India, should be to set <coughs> India free. 
Now, like most of Europe, Britain was confused between imperialism and nationhood. The idea of empire came, came to Europe with the Persian Wars, and Alexander the Great began the first empire, became the Roman Empire later. Everybody wanted empire, including Britain, but also Germany and France and Portuguese and the uh, Spanish and the Astro, um, Austro-Hungarian, etc., and Russians and Swedish. Everybody wanted an empire. But the idea of nation came to Europe from the Bible because it's a peculiar Jewish idea. God says to Abraham, you follow me, I will bless you, I will make you a great nation, I will give you this uh, land. You fight for your land, you develop your land, but you don't covet the land I'm giving to the Egyptians or the Ishmaelites and the uh, Edomites and the Sidonians. Empire is a pagan idea, prescription for war, because empire doesn't recognize national boundaries. It wants to covet other people's lands. Nation is God's idea for peace. You love your land, you fight for your land, but you don't covet your neighbor's land. Uh, so this Jewish idea of nation came, and it began after the Reformation, 1556, 58, uh, the war of 17 Dutch provinces against Spain, that we are one people in one territory, speaking one language, Dutch, Dialects were different, but the Bible was one. Why are we being ruled by Spain? That led to 80 years of war, 50 years you know, limited to Holland, 30 years the religious wars are all over Europe, which culminated in the Peace of Westphalia uh, that created the first nations in the biblical sense of the word Holland and Switzerland uh, in uh, 1648, Peace of Westphalia which inspired American Revolution, that America should become an independent nation, uh, not a colony of Britain, which then uh, spread the idea, of biblical idea of nation. So India is today a nation, free nation, because of the ideas that the Bible brought to England and brought to us through England. Now, the conflict between the idea of empire and nation continued here in England, and finally it was uh, Franklin Roosevelt, the American president, who argued and convinced Sir Winston Churchill to give up the idea of empire through the Atlantic Charter and give to all the colonies the right to self-determination. And it was only when the Atlantic Charter was signed, approved by the House of Commons, signed on 1st uh, January uh, 1942, that in 1942 Mahatma Gandhi called uh, for uh, the British to quit India. So the idea of India becoming an independent free nation state came to us from the Bible and it requires the Bible uh, to as a philosophical idea. So my time is up. I must give you the time for questions. But let me just wrap up by saying that in, in the 1980s, a Jewish, liberal Jewish 
uh, professor, Alan Bloom, wrote a, a bestseller called The Closing of the American Mind. He pointed out that 40 years earlier when he had become a teacher, high school graduates coming to college wanted to study great books, great ideas, great music, great art of Western civilization. You can't understand Shakespeare if you don't know the Bible because there are 1200 allusions to the Bible in Shakespeare's 30, 36 plays. But he said, now that I'm retiring, the high school graduates who come to college are not interested in great ideas that built the West. They're not interested in great music. They all want Mick Jagger. Nobody wants to listen to Bach. Uh, he has a whole chapter on Mick Jagger. Uh, he says neither the students are interested in studying the great ideas, great books that built the West, nor are their parents interested, nor are the universities in America interested in the great ideas, great book, great literature, great music, great art that created the modern world. And he gave his explanation, now he was a practicing homosexual, and he gave his explanation that the reason this generation is not interested in the ideas and books that created the modern world is because this generation does not know the Bible. You cannot understand Western literature. Mrs. Margaret Thatcher said this, that you cannot understand British history and British literature and British government and British laws if you don't know the Bible. So as we conclude, my plea to you would be that you should consider one or two or three MPs should seriously consider proposing that the Bible should be taught academically in British schools. There is religious education, but religion is often the problem. Religion didn't reform Europe, the Bible did. Religion is being taught, but the Bible is not being taught. Now there is a movement, my friend Chuck, Stetson has just come from uh, Australia. Tomorrow, in fact, uh, there is a press conference in uh, National Press Club in Washington, D.C. to begin to talk that what nine states in, in America have already done needs to happen nationally, that if Western civilization has to be saved, the next generation has to be educated in knowing what the Bible is. So I would want to leave close with this particular challenge that one or two MPs, this is now beginning to happen in Australia. I've been to Finnish parliament. I've been, I'm going to Brazilian parliament. I've already spoken twice there. But this needs to happen. And Britain has led the world in this way. Uh, we owe our, the, our understanding of the Bible and the soul, the secret of the West to the gift that Britain gave it to us. And you can once again lead the Bible, uh, lead the campaign that the next coming generation should be educated to understand the soul of the West, which is the Bible. Thank you.